Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. State recognition is a frequent quandary for both tribes and state officials. It offers a few benefits and can add confusion toward tribal citizenship. The state of Louisiana set out to create an official process to determine state recognition status, but the panel appointed to do just that adjourned without any decisions. We'll check in with Louisiana tribes and others for a look at different requirements for state recognition. That's on the next Native America Calling. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Plans are underway for a huge winter construction season at the Willow Oil Project on the North Slope of Alaska. This comes as a federal judge last week rejected calls from environmental and grassroots Native groups to block the development. Earth Justice and other organizations vow to appeal the decision to the Ninth Circuit Court. They've dubbed the project a carbon bomb, which would escalate climate change. Although the Biden administration reduced the scale of the project earlier this year, environmental groups say the president broke a campaign promise to put an end to new oil and gas development on public lands and waters. Willow is on federal land in Alaska's National Petroleum Reserve, an area ConocoPhillips has been exploring for years. The company estimates the project holds up to 600 million barrels of oil. It says it plans to spend 900 million this winter and put about 1,800 people to work. A large coalition of Inupiat communities and organizations on the North Slope welcome the economic benefits of the project. Others, like Nuiqsut, which is closest to the development, are divided about the impacts. The White House announced Monday President Joe Biden will host the third annual White House Tribal Nation Summit of his administration on December 6th and 7th. The summit is part of a campaign promise to tribes to honor the nation-to-nation relationship with the U.S. The event is chaired by U.S. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland and other administration officials. Tribal leaders from each of the 574 federally recognized tribes are invited to attend. They'll engage with administration officials about top issues facing their communities. The administration says some of the president's work in Indian country since taking office include infrastructure investments, helping secure advanced appropriations for the Indian Health Service, and the creation of national monuments in Nevada and Arizona. The White House Tribal Nation Summit was held annually for eight years during the Obama administration. Meanwhile, tribal leaders from across the country are gathering in New Orleans this week for the National Congress of American Indians Annual Convention. They'll address top issues facing their communities. One issue of debate is a proposal to limit voting membership to federally recognized tribes and only citizens of federally recognized tribes to be eligible for individual membership. The proposal also seeks that board members and regional vice presidents be citizens of federally recognized tribes. This year is also an election year of the organization's executive committee, including the end of four years of leadership by NCAI President Fawn Sharp. The convention will feature an exhibit commemorating 80 years tracing NCAI's history. The convention kicked off over the weekend and will wrap up on Friday. More than 2,000 people are expected to attend.
The Oto Missouri tribe is raising concerns about tribal vehicle tags after a recent incident in Oklahoma. According to the tribe, one of its enrolled tribal members was issued a $249 traffic ticket for failure to pay state taxes on their motor vehicle. Chairman John Shotton in a statement said after more than 20 years of cooperation between the state and tribes regarding vehicle tag registration, it appears the state has altered its position of understanding concerning tribal tags. He goes on to say the change was made without notice or consultation with tribes that operate vehicle tag registration. The chairman says they're reviewing legal options. According to the tribe, the justification for the citation was that the tribal member did not have a right to a tribal tag because the tribal member lives outside of tribal jurisdiction. Other tribal leaders in the state are also voicing concerns. The Shinnecock Indian Nation in New York is hosting a grand opening and ribbon-cutting ceremony for Little Beach Harvest Dispensary. It's the first tribally owned and licensed tax-free cannabis dispensary on Long Island. The tribe's hosting the celebration and giving a first look on Wednesday. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, LLP, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for over 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, your National Humanities medal-winning radio show and podcast. As it meets this week in Louisiana, the National Congress of American Indians is considering a controversial change of course to exclude tribes that aren't federally recognized. Leaders of tribes that are state-recognized only oppose the move, calling it a major setback. Only a handful of states have a process to recognize tribes. Still, there are more than 60 tribes that have only state recognition. The state of Louisiana, where NCI is holding its annual convention, has a tribal recognition process, but a recent effort to update the criteria ended without a decision. That left two tribes vying for state recognition hanging. Today we'll hear about that process in Louisiana and the case for a formal state recognition procedure. We'll also hear a perspective on how state recognition only confuses the issue of Native identity. Join today's conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. We've got four guests on our show today. Joining us from Phoenix, Arizona first is Patty Ferguson Bonney. She is the director of the Indian Legal Program and a clinical professor of law at Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University. She is Ponishan. Patty, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hey, thanks for having me. Joining us from Homa, Louisiana is Michael Billiot. He is the general counsel for the United Homa Nation. He is Homa. Michael, hello. Welcome to Native America Calling. 
Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Speaking with us from Libus, Louisiana, is Gilbert Bennett. He is the council member and a member of the Talamali Band of Appalachian Indians of Louisiana. Hello, Gilmer. It's great to have you on the show as well. It's a and joining us from Newark, Ohio, is John Lau. He is an associate professor of comparative studies at Ohio State University. He is the director of the Newark Earthworks Center and a former, former tribal attorney. He's also a citizen of the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi. Hi, John. Welcome to Native America Calling. Great to be here, Sean. Thank you. Well, let's go ahead and get this conversation started. And Patty, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in Louisiana and how does this Louisiana state recognition process compare to other states that have Native American state recognition across the country? Yeah, so there are a number of states that have recognition processes, I think about 12 or 13. And in Louisiana, primarily it has been through going through the state legislature. And there was a commission created under state law to, um, and they were directed to create um, criteria that would then be proposed to the state legislature. However, due to um, tribes not participating in the commission, including all, all of the federal tribes, um, they were not able to obtain a quorum. So there was a task force created to create criteria, um, even though this commission is directed to create their, the criteria for the state. Um, and that ended without any recommendations. And there was opposition from some of the federal tribes and a state tribe who were opposing state recognition um, and the criteria. So it ended at an impasse. There's still an opportunity to create that, and obviously the commission still exists. And so if they can achieve a quorum, they can propose that also to the state legislature. All right, we're going to talk more about this commission a little bit later in the show. But, Patty, I know that you have fought to get tribes in Louisiana state recognition. What got you involved in these negotiations? Right, yeah, so I'm a member of the Pornishant Indian tribe, and as I started my law practice, there were issues that were arising because my tribe was not state recognized. They have to do with, uh, or federally recognized protection of the land and uh, resources after there's a storm and things of that nature. But one of the big issues that came forward was that our schools were going to lose Indian education monies because our tribes were not state recognized. So we made an effort to seek state recognition and we worked with our sister tribes um, from the Biloxi uh, Chittimacha Confederation, Ilshan Charles, Bayou Lafouche, and Grand Caillou Dulac. And we worked on this for several years, and we had to really educate the state legislature, our senators, our representatives. And at the time, there was a director of Indian Affairs who was from a tribe that was opposing us, so we had to go above the head and um, at, work directly with the governor's office to get resolutions introduced. And they had hearings on our resolutions, and then they were passed out of committee and then uh, passed uh, by the legislature in both houses. 
So that was really the process, but it was a multi-year process to build coalitions and build support and educate um, individuals. And then we had testimony from genealogists, historians, uh, tribal leaders who went before these different bodies of the state legislature. And what exactly does state recognition accomplish there in Louisiana, Patty, beyond just these these uh, monies for, for schools? Yeah, so I think that's a really good question. I mean, one, it recognizes our um, existence, that we have been here since time immemorial, since um, really before the state of Louisiana was created. So for us, that was very important because obviously um, inherent sovereignty isn't dependent on state or federal recognition, but it's important to have that um, recognition. Uh, and in addition to education, for us, we're located in the fastest eroding basin in the United States. And so we've been put more at risk over time. And just for an example, in Hurricane Ida in 2021, all but 12 of our homes were destroyed. And under Louisiana's emergency operation plan, the Director of Indian Affairs is appointed to work with state and federal tribes on response issues. Um, and so that is very important to ensure that you can render life-saving aid and response to a storm. And then the parishes also have this within their plans that they're to work with the state tribe. So we're in two parishes. And um, so when a Category 4 storm, which happened to us in 2021, hit us directly, these different agencies within the state should have been working with us to respond. And we've had other environmental disasters like the BP oil spill and things of that nature. Um, it also helps you become designated as a um, tribal census area, which I think is important. And it provides access to tribal members if they had it in your area for uh, certain scholarships, healthcare, grant and loan programs. And the tribes also become eligible for certain grants, even for federal agencies. So definitely uh, some very tangible benefits to, to having this state recognition. And Patty, your tribe, Point Shan, why is it that your people can't um, get federal recognition beyond state recognition? Yeah, so we... Um, started working on federal recognition later in the process. In our community, our tribe wasn't allowed to attend high school until the late 1960s. So there are a lot of things happening that we weren't aware of because we didn't have, um, you know, the knowledge of the inner workings of the government and things of that nature. So obviously, like, once things started happening with regards to defense of our land and those issues were like, oh, we need to formally um, organized so that we can support and protect our community um, from these um, invasions, basically, and exploitation of our resources. And so we submitted a petition, our, our letter of intent, in the mid-'90s. We then submitted um, a petition in 2005, and we had a proposed finding in 2008. We had about two months to uh, add documents to our materials. And so the two issues that were highlighted were that we need to show political community from 1940 to 88. Um, and so since that time, we've done about 60 oral histories and we're able to now show endogamy, which is intermarriage with the rule change in 2015, that 50% or more of our population 
um, we're intermarrying with each other and then also residency. Um, so we've been working on that to resubmit. But the big issue for um, our tribe is that we were mislabeled and misidentified as another tribe. And then also there's been no real primary resource um, research of Louisiana Indians from historical times to the present. A lot of it jumps from the French colonial period to sometime after uh, Louisiana became part of the United States. So that lack right. of primary resources is really a problem. All right. Now we've got about a minute and a half before we go to break. And uh, if you could just briefly explain what would your tribe, the Point of Shine, what would you folks gain from having federal recognition beyond just the state recognition that you have now? Yeah, well, we really are concerned about protecting our cultural resources, our homeland, our language, our sacred site, maintaining our community, and really just maintaining our existence and tribal identity because of the climate issues that are impacting our community. So really our existence is threatened by all of these changes to the environment and we cannot, we have uh, troubles responding to that because our self-determination is not respected and our voice is not respected and having that seat at the table. Okay. Uh, well, thanks, Patty, for kicking us off. And uh, important to clarify for our listeners the differences between state recognition and federal recognition, especially for, for any non-Native uh, listeners of the show today. Uh, this might be all new to you folks in terms of how Native American tribes have uh, legal status, both with the federal government and then in some cases with state governments as well. So interesting conversation. We're just getting started. Give us a call if you have questions or comments to share. 1-800-996-2848. Businesses and organizations frequently have to reassess how they present themselves to the public. Sometimes their name reflects a long and recognized tradition. Other times they need to reboot with a new name and direction. We'll talk about the decision to rebrand on the next Native America Calling. The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no-cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at Indian-Affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're taking a look at the process for state recognition of tribes, specifically about a decision happening now in Louisiana. We also want to hear from you. Are you from a state-recognized tribe? If so, what does the process look like in your state for a state or for a tribe that seeks that recognition? 
or are you critical of how states recognize tribes? Maybe you don't support it. Maybe you don't think it's a good idea. Let us know. Join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And a reminder, you can always listen back to our show today and past shows on all major podcast platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Let's bring our next guest in now, Michael Billiot. He is the general counsel for the United Homa Nation in Louisiana. Michael, thank you again for joining us. And earlier we heard Patty talk about this commission there that was set up in Louisiana and how it adjourned without developing this set of criteria. Tell us a little bit more about why that happened. Why was this uh, task force unable to get this set of criteria in place? Oh, sure. And I think uh, uh, that Ms. Ferguson was correct with regard to there was a lack of participation from um, all of the uh, groups that were uh, that are listed as part of the Indian Commission. So therefore, it could not produce uh, a recommendation. So um, that, that's true. But I'd like to start out with some context, um, just because I know that a lot of your listeners um, may, uh, this concept of state recognition may, may be new. But certainly something that is not new is the story of the Cherokees. Everyone knows who the Cherokees are. And everyone uh, has at least heard of the Trail of Tears. And the Trail of Tears came about in, uh, through a treaty called the Treaty of New Akota. And that treaty was actually signed by a small minority group of the Cherokees. Now, this, the reason that I tell, start out with that story is because the group was acknowledged or seen as legitimate or at least the federal government said they saw them as legitimate, the, the, the small minority group. And that small minority group, not the historic Cherokees, but the small minority group, was allowed to sign a treaty that then affected the removal of all of the Cherokees, even against the opposition, even with the opposition of mm -hmm. the true leadership of the Cherokees. Um, even with them opposing. Now, let me, uh, let me tell you the reason why I emphasize that. Okay. It's important to understand that there, is, there, can be, there can be a difference between what the government lists as or says as a Native American tribe and what the historic tribes consider a Native American tribe. And if there is a difference, then certainly uh, anyone wanting to work with tribes or trying to uh, research tribes should be aware of that difference. I'm not suggesting that a person should side with one group or another. I'm not suggesting that a person should have tried, sided with the minority of the Cherokees or with the main Cherokees. I just uh, emphasize the importance of peer, vet peer vetting and peer recognition so that, 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 so that there is not a division. And I can't think that what has happened in Louisiana. All right, we're going to go ahead and uh, bring Patty back into the conversation now. Uh, Patty, um, Michael makes an interesting distinction there with regard to, to federal recognition, governmental recognition perhaps, and just community recognition. Maybe, maybe expand on that a little bit for our listeners if you could. 
Um, well, I mean, I think in general we need to, you know, I just want to restate that inherent sovereignty is not dependent on federal or state recognition. Um, and so community recognition seems to be like something different so that, you know, we don't have to worry about recognizing these inherent rights of tribes. So, and it is true that tribes have always had relations, intertribal relations with other tribes, um, but federal recognition is acknowledging the, the status for the government to government relationship with the federal government and state recognition does the same thing on the state level, but there's definitely, it's not the same level as the federal government. And, but these inherent rights, whether they're recognized or not, continue to exist. And this is implemented in international law, and there's actually been findings that the U.S. government has failed to, um, through their federal recognition process, to really acknowledge the rights of a number of indigenous peoples in the U.S. and tribes, and that their human rights have been violated because of this. And so I think that's just important to note that this is like a colonial construct creating these lists. All right, all right. Michael, back to you. And again, these, uh, these criteria that uh, this task force was um, tasked with creating to determine state recognition. Um, obviously, it's at some kind of an impasse, a roadblock. Do you think that they'll ever be able to agree on a set of criteria going forward? It sounds like it's pretty imperative that they do so at some point. Yes, and as a matter of fact, I was talking about the importance of peer vetting and peer recognition and a lot of the problems that have, uh, and including the impasse, has been as a result of the failure to by Louisiana legislators, legislators to recognize the very essential nat nature of peer recognition. For example, uh, with regard to the status, the Louisiana legislature, one thing that it has made clear, although the, uh, the recognition process is not clear, one thing that it has made clear and cannot be questioned is that the state in 1999, a regular session, uh, request the legislators requested a study be done of the state recognition process. Again, mm -hmm. in, in 2003, uh, in the regular session of 2003, the state, once again, the title of this document is a study request. And the study request was in 2003 was to study the whole process. And the reason, and I, this is uh, very important, the reason that they wanted to study it, this was in 2003, is because Louisiana does not have any criteria upon which to base a decision to recognize an Indian tribe. That's what the legislature stated, that Louisiana in 2003 had no criteria, and that is the reason that they needed to study. In 2022, when the task force was created, the task force uh, once again stated in their, in their document in the regular session of 2022, it particularly uh, stated very clearly that there is uh, uh, no criteria. There are no existing criteria. So now you have a situation where uh, there appears to be a list of some kind, but that list, uh, according to the legislature, the, those designations were arrived at 
without any criteria. The, uh, the lack of criteria has been noted over and over as the reason that the state needs to have uh, an inquiry and create the criteria for the first time. Now, while the state does not have criteria, the uh, Louisiana does, in Louisiana, there exists a group called the Intertribal Council. The Intertribal Council has existed since the 1970s, and it is a symposium of five tribes in Louisiana, the five historic tribes of Louisiana. And there are the Cachada, the Chittimachas, the Tunicabaluxi, the Gina of Tata, and the United Home Nation. Those five have been in existence or have been working together and have had a criteria and vetting process with regard to what is, who is and is not a, a Native American tribe. Now, I don't pretend to uh, tell you what the criteria is or what they base their decisions on or anything right. like that. But what, I do, but what I do emphasize is that it is clear that since the Intertribal Council has a list of, um, of or, or they are comprised of five, and the state list 14, then there are nine that are, are not at least comprised within the Intertribal Council. And I understand that some of them have actually applied to be a part of it, but they could not because they didn't meet that criteria. That criteria. So I emphasize this to note that there apparently is a difference. Uh, apparently, there is a difference between the criteria that is created by the uh, Native American government and the lack of criteria, as very clearly noted in numerous documents created by the, by the state, uh, there was very clearly a difference between the criteria of the Native American government and okay. the lack of criteria by the state okay. government. Michael, I'm, I'm curious about the federally recognized tribes in the state of Louisiana. Where are they? What's their position? with regard to, to state recognition and also this, this task force to develop a, ser a, a clear set of criteria? Well, I wouldn't pretend to speak on behalf of the federally recognized tribes. Um, I don't not know that they've taken an official position. I do know uh, that as Ms. Ferguson had noted, the tri federal tribes appeared at the recent task force meetings uh, and did make their presentations known. Uh, at that, are their opinions known at that time? But I know that uh, I would, I would suspect that the reason that there can't be a quorum at the commission uh, uh, is, and the lack of participation comes as a result of a lack of perception of legitimacy of both the commission and the uh, manner in which uh, the designations have been granted. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, Gilmer, I, I want to talk to you now. Gilmer Bennett, uh, council member and member of the Talamali Band of Appalachian Indians of Louisiana. Gilmer, what is the status of your tribe right now? Do you folks have state recognition? No, we turned it down. And why was we that? Turned, we turned it down because the uh, legislators wanted to restrict our rights, and so we turned it down. Uh, now, Keep in mind that the Appalachian tribe was once a fairly recognized tribe in the state of Louisiana, and they were brought here from um, Mobile, which at that time was the capital of Louisiana. They were brought here by the French government 
and placed here on Red River. They're originally from Florida. Every person that came was documented, and our tribe has been documented all the way through. Our tribe actually could, uh, petitioned Congress to have land that, taken, that was taken away from us by the, uh, land speculators in Louisiana. Um, the, uh, the deal, though, with the uh, federally recognized tribe participating in the commission is pretty mm -hmm. much the verbiage and the language of the legislation created that created the commission. They they don't get nothing out of it, and it's they don't have the same authority as they don't have more authority than the state recognized tribes on this. And the commission for us has not been a good thing. And tell us more. Why is that? What What is your issue there with the commission specifically? Well, the, the commission has two objectives. One is to oversee the state scholarship program, which, which money is generated from license plate sales. Our tribe worked for four years to get the legislation put through, and we're allowed to participate in that program. But the commission says we have no right to participate and help them oversee the scholarship program. Now, as far as criteria for the state, I've attended some of them. They wanted to adopt the, the standards for federal, federal recognition. But the problem with, with that is, is that the uh, Tuna Kabuxi tribe is made up of five tribes, and they will not meet today's standards to be federally recognized when it was changed during the Obama administration. Now, okay, and what, which, know. which, do you know, which standards, what is it that they wouldn't meet? What is it that they would be lacking? By They're made up of that... five tribes. You can only be from one. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, Gilmer, I mean, so right now you folks don't have state recognition. You've chosen not to accept state recognition. Apparently that is your choice. You don't have federal recognition. So how are you folks able to to function then as a tribal entity without any sort of, of government recognition, either at the federal or state level? We don't self-identify. We're identified outside. The academic community rep uh, recognizes us. We've been recognized in other places like in Florida, Mission San Luis, where we're originally from. Uh, so we're able to function that way, is that we do not self-identify or recognize from outside uh, of, of, our, of ourselves. So uh, it's mostly the academic community that recognizes us. The state recognizes the governor's office. We pull up the governor's the scholarship program. Our name is right on there because we helped develop it. But... Uh, the state did not recognize us, even though, even though we paid uh, legislators thirty thousand dollars to put us through. Mm -hmm. So, what's the goal then uh, for the Talamali Band of Appalachians of Louisiana? Are you folks eventually going to to at some point try and negotiate for a way to to gain both federal or state recognition, and then at some point in the future regain the federal recognition that you no longer have? We're going to go <clears throat> for the federal recognition, but we're not going to go through the uh, Bureau of Acknowledgement. And the reason it's called the Bureau of Acknowledgement was that when, these tri when the tribes in, Lu in Louisiana back in the early 2000s were attempting to become federally recognized, they were opposed by other federal, federal tribes who sent a lot of money to Washington, D.C., which ended up causing a federal investigation, a congressional investigation into this. That's the reason that it was all changed. The criteria was changed. Before then, 
the Tunica Biloxi could become a tribe, but now they can't if they was to re- if they were applying again. This is this being recognized is strictly political, okay. all the way through. Even the commission is political. It serves at the discretion of the governor of the state. Anything that comes out of the commission goes to the governor's office, and then he takes it from there. Well, Gilmer, really appreciate your insights here, and uh, we're going to take another break here, but uh, I would like for somebody to call in, and I have a question for, for you folks that are listening to the show right now, because it seems like much of the resistance towards state recognition in, in some of these states, and especially with Louisiana, like we're talking about today, it does seem to come from the federally recognized tribes who are located in that state. So. I'd like to hear a caller. What's your take? If you're a member of a federally recognized tribe and you have state recognized tribes in your state or you have tribal entities that are working towards some type of state recognition or possibly federal recognition, what are your thoughts here? What are your thoughts and feelings with regard to these tribal groups that are also in your state but don't have the federal recognition that your tribe has? Give us a call. Tell us your thoughts. Share your insights. Let us know. one 800 We're going to take one more break and we'll be back with our guests and more conversation. Ah, Khespikani, Humi, Puti Yoyo, Shuasing Kwele. Open enrollment for Medicare in the marketplace, Tlia. Tristan Suuch, Shuasing Kwele, Neh. Quilquil Tausta, Shuan in Kaluksuk Mariam, Fulnecht Smi, Quis Chuimit, Healthcare.gov, Huwa Chuilquil Tausta, 1 800 318 Meet in Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. And there's still time to join today's conversation about tribes that are only recognized by their state. Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That number is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's now bring in John Lau. He is an associate professor of comparative studies at Ohio State University and a former tribal attorney, also a citizen of the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi. John, thank you again for joining us. And, and tell us, where do you stand on, on the issue of state recognition, and, and what is its value as a legal designation for a Native American tribe? Sure. Um, and again, uh, Sean, thanks for having me. Um, I don't know much about the Louisiana uh, situation, but I can speak from uh, the experience of being a member of the Pokagon Potawatomi. Our federal recognition, despite us being a historic tribe, a treaty signing tribe with the United States government, our federal recognition was arbitrarily taken away from us in 1934. And we had to work for 60 years uh, to get that restored in 1994. And we found the uh, Bureau of Acknowledgement and Recognition, the uh, administrative process to be a brick wall, dead end. Uh, and ultimately we were able to convince uh, uh, two of our uh, congressmen in our service area uh, to sponsor a bill. So we went the legislative path, and we had our federal recognition reestablished for us. And 
with that, we we never sought state recognition uh, because uh, from our perspective, up here in Michigan, Indiana, where my tribe is, is doesn't mean anything. Uh, is uh, tribes are already on par with uh, states, federally recognized tribes. What we wanted to do was reaffirm the government-to-government uh, -government relationship with the federal government. And we also wanted to have uh, access to uh, the federal laws that do protect uh, federally recognized tribes, like the Indian Child Welfare Act, like the Native American Grave Protection and Repatriation Act, like the um, uh, American Indian Religious Freedom Act, and all the others that do protect uh, federally recognized tribe tribes and their members. And so that was important to us. And so it's been uh, during that 60-year period, we operated as a not-for-profit. Um, and uh, But it, uh, it had a cost on the members. Uh, uh, and uh, because, you know, it was like we, we needed that reaffirmation of our identity as, yes, we are here. We know we're here, but we want mm -hmm. you to know we're here, too. And so that was really important to us. In the Ohio uh, situation, where I'm at now and teach, um, we've got sort of a different situation. We, you know, there's the Eastern Band of Shawnee out in Oklahoma and the Shawnee uh, Nation uh, out in Oklahoma, the two federally recognized Shawnee tribes. We have groups here in Ohio that tend to be um, kind of, you know, there may be some descendants, you know, uh, ancestry, uh, maybe, of uh, Indian people, Shawnee people here. But they gather together kind of like a Rotary Club or an Optimist Club and, uh, okay. uh, you know, a social club. And so... One of them, the remnant band of Shawnee, at one point had gotten state recognition, which in the Ohio, in the Great Lakes experience, really doesn't mean anything. It's just uh, a fundraising um, a deal. You you know, the tribe then goes out and sells enrollments. Uh, they go out and uh, host powwows. They uh, do fundraising off of websites to uh, promote their, uh, and they're sort of like clubs. Uh, and, uh, I think it confuses people, non-native people in particular, that they don't know the difference between state recognized and federally recognized. And oftentimes these club groups, these people that are either, you know, they say, well, we're recognized. Well, how are you recognized? Well, in Ohio, the United Remnant Band of Shawnee, they made a donation to one politician okay. uh, he got elected and uh, so uh, he pass, he proposes and they pass a bill that gives them state recognition and that's All really right, well, kind, here's of a, kind of meaningless here, okay well here's a question i have for you john and maybe you can answer it for us. so um you know as, as federally recognized tribes so often you know we want the federal government out of our business we're, we, we're sovereign nations we don't want the federal government heavily involved in making decisions and determining policies and laws within our borders. 
But yet, when it comes to this issue, oftentimes you'll see federally recognized tribes looking to the federal government, hey, you guys, they want them to make the decision. They're totally comfortable with letting the federal government make the decision as to who or not is a Native American tribe. Do you see any hypocrisy with that? with regard to, to being so hesitant and so resistant against the, against the federal government with some issues of Native American policy, but yet when it comes to this recognition issue, we're gonna turn it all over to the feds and give them complete authority as to who is or who is not federally recognized. Yeah, there, there's uh, you bring up, Sean, a great uh, opportunities for unfairness, right? Uh, and uh, a lack of logic and uh, so to depend upon the federal government to acknowledge our status as a federally recognized tribe, yeah, that's <coughs> a bit um, uh, uh, upside down. But what's the alternative? The slippery slope of anybody can declare themselves a tribe. Uh, if that mm -hmm. were the case, we'd have thousands of tribes uh, suddenly popping up uh, to open up a casino and open up a bingo hall and uh, uh, start selling cigarettes and all these other okay. things that, uh, you know, so, so it's a slippery slope, but there's got to be some process. Um, right. And since, you know, and it makes sense to me that, well, you know, we're talking about a government to government relationship. The federal government should have some say in who it wants to have a relationship to. And they're, criteria are pretty strong. You've got to be a legitimate historic tribe with an ongoing political and social history up to the present, you know, and so. John, you mentioned you casinos, you mentioned cigarettes, and, and I think uh, oftentimes I hear arguments from state recognized tribes like, well, they're, they just don't want competition. These federal recognized tribes, they don't want competition for their casinos. They don't want competition for their tobacco businesses uh do you think it's at the heart of it it's just simply dollars and cents and federally recognized tribes in some cases are threatened by the the prospect of, of competition if more tribes gain federal recognition within their state borders that could create challenges for their casinos for their business operations what's your thought um no i don't think it's that dark um i think it's mostly uh, most tribes are concerned about, and I certainly see this in Ohio, is there's a lot of pretendians uh, going around, uh, uh, you know, uh, having wows. You know, they're clearly, they're not Indian. They may have had some, maybe, some Indian descendancy. Oftentimes, they don't have any Indian ancestry at all. And we just want Indians, if you're a tribe, to be a real tribe. And if you're Indian, to, you know, if you claim to be a citizen of a federally recognized tribe or a, a citizen of any tribe, let it be legitimate. I don't think it's a business decision. I don't think it's a concern about competition. It's a concern about, well, pretty soon, you know, Thomas Jefferson's going to win out. You know, his claim that every American will have one drop of Indian blood, you know, someday and will be a better mm -hmm. nation for it. Well, so... Um, you know, but that doesn't, one drop of Indian blood, you know, it's about identity and it's about community and okay. uh, it's about who we are. All right. Thank you, John. Patty, back to you because John just used the term real tribe. I'm curious, Patty, what do you think that means? 
when you hear words like that, real tribe, what's a real tribe? Well, I think that's really coming from a colonial mindset to allow the federal government, whose whole goal was to extinguish tribes and assimilate tribes, to be the ones to determine who a tribe is. So the legitimacy uh, should not be at the mercy of a government whose goal was to destroy tribal authority. So to me, I think you should go back and look at, you know, who are tribes, and tribes have inherent sovereignty. I think that state-recognized tribes like ours and other state-recognized tribes are also concerned about legitimacy and the issues that were raised. But um, there has to be also an acknowledgement that most of the tribes, the majority of the tribes in the United States have not gone through a process. And there was a recognition in 1978 through the, um, uh, there was a report for on fairly recognized tribes that was done by the task force on the American Indian Policy Review Commission. NCAI also held a conference on this where they recognized that there are a number of tribes that are not recognized due to a number of reasons and that the burden should be on the government to say, no, you shouldn't be recognized for X, Y reason, but the burden has been shifted to the tribe. And most of these tribes don't have the resources necessary to put forward a petition um, and the cost and the number of years, it could take three decades, over three decades, $30 million tribes have spent on this. And in the meantime, they are their inherent rights are being disregarded and being stepped mm-hmm. on. So to me, that's like taking a different view and it's not really a native view. Okay, Patty, and as a member of the, the Point of Shame, you folks do not have federal recognition. And I just, I'm curious, how does it make you feel on a personal level when you hear members of federally recognized tribes say, oh, you're not really native, you're not federally recognized? What does that make you feel? You know, it doesn't really bother me because I know who I am, I know who my people are, I know where I'm from. And growing up, if you grew up in South Louisiana, you know that you're Indian, you know that you were discriminated against because you were Indian, and you know that the struggles that continue to exist because you are Native. Like, so this is a lived experience, so no one can tell us who we are and that our experiences aren't real and that, you know, that we're not Indian. So, I mean, I... I, people have a right to say and believe what they want, but, you know, it doesn't, you know, make me act any different because I know that there are a lot of also federal tribes. If you come to our communities, you will know that this is a native community. And so I invite people, especially people who are at NCAI, if you want to come to our communities, um, please, you know, please come and visit. Michael, how about you when you hear federally recognized tribal members uh, refer to tribes that don't have federal recognition as less than? What does that make you feel? Well, I tell you, uh, I don't actually spend a lot of time uh, thinking about it because uh, United Home Nation uh, has 19,000 members. Our uh, chief, Laura Ann Shasson, is on the executive board of NCAI. Uh, she'll be one of the ones considering the uh, 
um, the ordinances that are being considered with regard to state recognition. And, you know, we, uh, we walk like a duck and quack like a duck, and it's because we're a duck. So we, uh, we are uh, out in the world expressing and telling our story. Uh, we all uh, are very aware that we are Homa Indian. I've never uh, considered myself uh, even a portion of, uh, of something else. So uh, I would not know what it would be like not to consider myself Homa Indian. Uh, that's a foreign concept for me. So it has no bearing on how we treat ourselves and how we project ourselves to the world. And uh, we are uh, Native American. We were born Native American. We will die Native American. And whether or not we are recognized as such by a state or federal government does not impact that identity. Thanks, Michael. John, I'm going to go back to you for the last word. And another argument that I hear sometimes against uh, tribes that, that don't have federal recognition or they're at the state level is, well, if these tribes all got federal recognition, then there would be less less federal funds to go around for for other for the federally recognized tribes. And it's it's a question of like a zero sum game. And what's your thought? Like if there's 63, currently 63 state-recognized tribes in the United States. If tomorrow morning they all had federal recognition, what do you think that would mean? Would it change the landscape economically and policy-wise for the other 570 federally recognized tribes that exist today? Um, no, I don't think it would, um, Sean. Uh, you know, we've... Uh, we're all survivors. We have resiliency, and we'll figure it out. And I just wish uh, my sisters and brothers from <coughs> other tribes that are either seeking state recognition or federal recognition, you know, the best of luck. Um, you know, I wish for good feelings and, and good fortune for that effort. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. <laughs> Well, John, I really appreciate you joining the conversation uh, along with our other three guests, Patty, Ferguson, Bonnie, Michael, Billiot, and Gilmer Bennett. Uh, really, really good, strong conversation. And anybody listening today, if you didn't get a chance to call in, but you've got thoughts you want to share, if you've got insights on this issue of state recognition in Louisiana and elsewhere, go ahead and connect with us on social media. You know, we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram, we've got all those other channels going. So please, please continue the dialogue, even though the show now has to go um, off the air. And with that, I want to thank everybody for listening and appreciate uh, all of you supporters of Native America Calling. We'll be back on the air again tomorrow with a new issue, with a new topic. Join us then. I'm Sean Spruce. Support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Blood Sisters by Vanessa Lilly, about a Cherokee archaeologist summoned to rural Oklahoma to investigate the disappearance of two women, one of them her sister. This and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Native American-made gifts at Ho-Chunk Inc.'s Sweetgrass Trading Co. include food, beauty, and wellness items from across Turtle Island. Christmas delivery available for orders placed by December 18th at SweetgrassTradingCo.com. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. OCO. Keep your family healthy and strong. Open enrollment for Medicare and the Marketplace is here. Make sure you and your loved ones are covered. For more information, contact your Indian health care provider. 
Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.